0: Hi, I'm Mandy. And I'm Ben. And this is Behind the Visa Window with ex-visa officers.
1: Where we give the insider's perspective on the U.S. visa interview process.
0: Hi everyone, this is Mandy Feerbacher and my co-host Ben Arterburn. And we're back with Behind the Visa Window, uh, visa insights on the uh, U.S. visa interview process. So Ben, Today's conversation, I think, is going to be really interesting to a lot of our listeners. It's <laughs> the it's category of cases in 221G administrative processing. Can you define that for us, please? Because I think our definition of what 221G administrative processing means is actually quite different than some of our listeners.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of people get confused because they'll be told at their interview that they've been refused under 221G. Right, And they think, oh, I've been refused, what does this mean? When really 221G, why we use those those numbers in that letter is because that's where, that's the, 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 the section of the law that allows the consular officers to basically just not make a decision right there at the interview. So 221G, administrative processing, those are synonyms and they mean that a decision has not been made at that interview. So technically, they call it a refusal, but it doesn't mean that your case is done. It means that no final decision has been made. There's going to be extra review. There's going to be some extra analysis. Uh, They've asked you to submit some more information. Any, Any number of things could lead to the decision not being made right then and there, and then it's going to be made in the future.
0: That's absolutely right. I think when I was a visa officer, what really surprised me was just how many types of different situations actually fall under this same type of quote-unquote refusal for visa applicants. You know, facing outward, we tell everybody the same thing. Your case is put under administrative processing. It's 221G. You might get a letter that has that little box checked um, under that section of the INA um, our immigration law, but Actually, behind the scenes, it could mean a number of different things based on specific situations in your case. Um, you know, just off the cuff, some of the things I remember uh, 221Ging, and we actually use it as a verb, right? 221Ging These applicants for are, you know, maybe there's a documentary deficiency, you know, perhaps their passport is about to expire and we actually cannot put in a new visa stamp in a, a passport that is going to expire in the next couple of weeks, you know, so we have rules about that. Or it could potentially be because during the course of the interview, um, there were some red flags that were raised about the legitimacy of the business. Perhaps you're applying for an L one visa, and they want to look into the company a little bit more and do some investigating. That would also fall under two two one G. Are there any other situations you remember, Ben?
1: i mean yeah there's 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 you know any anything could happen that makes them really you know like oh the the pims uh is not updated in the system so they're waiting for that your service status has not been changed to active and so you gotta wait to get that set. or the service fee hasn't been paid so many different things i think it's really there's two different main types of 221g one is the type where you've been asked specifically to do something to further the process right you've been asked you need to provide a bank statement you need to provide uh, evidence that you paid your service fee um, send us more information and then you'll be given instructions you'll be given uh, you know you need to either send it in through uh, the bank um, or wherever you can submit documents and then get delivered to the, the consulate or you've been asked to email them um, and then they're going to receive that that's kind of like that's the trigger that tells them, okay, we've got this new information. We'll do more work on this case. The second type is the one where it's kind of a little more, but you don't know how you should proceed is just when they say, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to issue. I don't know if I'm going to refuse. I need some more time. And they give you that sheet for 221G, but they haven't asked you for anything. They have just told you to wait right? Sometimes they keep your passport. Sometimes they give it back. In those cases, they should be keeping it, but they're all humans, right? They may mess up. They may give you back your passport when they should have kept it because they're going to make a decision later, right? And so you get this 221G and then you don't know what to do, right? You don't know what your next step is.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think that second category that you talk about is, 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 is the scarier category, in my opinion, just because, you know, it could potentially be because the visa officer thinks that you have a really complicated case. For example, you have, you know, a lot of documents, which they may or may not look at, but you also have very long convoluted explanations and in that moment when they have a long line of people standing in front of them waiting to be interviewed, they can't take the time or dedicate the time to actually fully understand your situation. And they want to pull the case aside and take a look at it later and perhaps make a decision at that time. Um, And so I think in those types of cases, it's really, really important that, um, and, and a lot of our work with Argo actually is helping you prepare for that interview so that you don't ever get to that point where an officer has so many questions, they can't make a decision about your case right away. I feel like our mission at Argo is for you to go in and be just a shoe in, you know, absolutely easy to approve because you have given the consular officer everything they need to make a decision in that moment, instead of having them have lingering questions in the back of their minds that will cause them to put your case aside you know, pull it back up later after they've had lunch, after they've had, you know, they have more time to think about it. Because keep in mind, and, and Ben can talk about this a little later, but it could be, you know, the 10th case that they have pulled from the pile from that morning that they have to look at. So then they, the consular officer might have a pile of 10 cases that he has to look at. Yours could be at the bottom. You know, it might, cause the consular officer to not really want to address it because it's so hard to make these decisions so you you almost want to preemptively not be in that pile
1: yeah and just you know in terms of the the technical process that happens once you're put in one g you know when you apply for your visa you get your appointment date you walk in you hand your documents you know to the to the intake people then you go and you get in line you're going to be sent to an officer if they approve you then your passport goes into an approval bin. It's going to go over. It's going to be printed. It's going to be stuck into your passport. It's going to be sent back to you. It's all kind of in in a process, right? It's very systematic and it's very reliable. Once you get put in 221G, all of that reliable process is you're out of that line. You get pulled out of that line. And then the only thing that's going to guarantee that your your visa, your passport, everything gets moved through that process to the end is it just relies on the the good organizational skills and the memory of that that officer that did that. Because he's going to take that passport, he's going to put it aside, he or she's going to put that aside, and then later on, they're going to go back and do whatever work they felt they needed to do on it to make a decision. Now, they might do that multiple times a day. They might have some other work that they're busy with. The next day, they do it multiple times. They get a big stack of these. They try to work through them, but then something else comes up. They get some more. They get put on top of that stack, and then one's down at the bottom, and they can just get lost you know sometimes physically lost but maybe just lost kind of in the in the, in the mix of everything that's going on and then no decisions made. We've had a lot of uh, people contacting us recently because it's the end of the summer season end of uh, this fall semester's F visa uh, application season and people applied you know maybe in May, maybe in June and they've been put in 221g and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and, they're waiting, and they haven't heard anything from the from the embassy or the consulate and they think, Oh, there's work being done on this. But if two months have passed and it was some something where it wasn't, you know, um, a standard thing like a check or anything like that, most likely the officer has forgotten about it, or basically, you know, it was it was urgent the day that you were there, then it was a little bit less urgent the next day. Once a month has passed, there's no urgency for them to get to your case at all, right? And so it can just, you know, it's it's a it's on the back burner. It's, it's at the low, the bottom of their priority list and they're just not taking any action on it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Ben, you brought up such a good point. You know, these cases kind of, (laughs) I think they could mentally and physically get lost, but from what I've seen at really, you know, embassy, busy embassies and consulates is that, it tends to pass through a lot more hands as well and so these cases instead of going into the approval bin where there's a very set process for how they get printed and passed back to the visa applicant now it you know takes a turn where it gets taken back to a desk possibly buried but then to pull it back out of the process either to get it approved or refused it will end up going through, you know, multiple hands of our local staff or, you know, staff at the embassy that are not, you know, the visa officers but the people who support our work and it just ends up becoming a lot more messy. And one other thing I want to mention too is that, you know, I might have mentioned this before, but consular officers Uh, tend to move around quite frequently. So, um, you know, besides just the work taking us on and off the line, which is what we call, you know, heading up to the window to interview visa applicants, you know, leaving for lunch, coming back to our desks to do desk work, we also do a lot of internal section rotations, which means that a visa officer who is interviewing student visas one day Uh, the next day might have been decided by management, okay, now you're going to go work in American citizen services upstairs and you'll have a whole new set of duties, making decisions on different types of applications uh, that have to do with citizenship and not necessarily visas. Or an officer can get pulled, You know, they might do a one-year rotation in a consular section, but the next year they'll be assigned to work in the political section, uh, writing reports and cables and be completely done with their visa work. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they have, completely finished all of their ongoing projects in the consular section, it might just end up getting uh, pushed to the next person who gets handed their duties, who will then have to re-understand what happened in this interview that they personally didn't take part in. And they might call the visa applicant back in for a second interview. And so it just becomes a a much more uh, difficult process uh, for the visa applicant.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, psychologically, here's what's happening, too, because, you know, you think about the process and everything, and I think that this part, the part of the, the visa application that we really know so well and that we're able to help people with is this psychological process that's going on on both sides of the window, right? And one of the other things that will happen is at that visa interview, when they 221GU, it's because there's two conflicting thoughts going on in their mind. They're thinking, okay, on the one hand, I don't want to issue, but on the other hand, I do want to issue and they can't make a decision at that time, right? So they got these two competing ideas and these two competing tendencies that are going on with regards to your case. Well, with time, whatever it was in that interview that made them feel like they wanted to issue your visa, maybe it was because your conversation with them went well and you really were able to express yourself well and demonstrate your, your credentials and your academic excellence, et cetera that might fade. And whatever bad um, bad evidence on paper is all that's left when they go back into the case and look at it, and they look at paper, right? And so that good impression that you made fades with time. So I don't have any data on this, but my intuition is that the longer that a case stays in 221G, the greater the chance that the resolution of that is going to be a final refusal. Um, also because it's just you know the, the memories of it go away, right? it's been sitting there and the easiest way to be done with that case is just 221, excuse me, 214, be it, refuse it, a final refusal and send it back, right? So I think even once you get put into 221G, it's still on you, right? It's not, you've had your interview, uh, they said 221G and you go home and you wait, right? That's, that's being passive. You've, um, You've abdicated your responsibility for actually trying to make sure that you get your your correct visa result. And I think that you do need to, to contact the, the, the consular embassy pretty frequently and, and pretty soon after you've been put into 221G. What do you think, Mandy?
0: I absolutely agree, Ben, because I think that, you know, a lot of times if visa officers, if consular officers are not reminded that there is this pending case, that somebody cares a lot about this case, it might again go to the back of the pile. And guess what? If there is a pile of cases that are problematic that they're trying to make decisions on, the people who are constantly reaching out, they might end up becoming at the top of the pile because the, you know, the, the visa officer's like, oh, this person's about to start school. We have to make this decision right away. They've reached out to us, you know, uh, once a week for the last three weeks. So I got to make a decision. Whereas, you know, the people who are silent, who sort of disappear, uh, I think consular officers also think like oh okay maybe this is not that important and maybe they have more time to wait around for the visa and you don't want to be in that group.
1: Yeah, and definitely.
0: Yeah, one other thing I wanted to say then is I definitely agree with you on what you were talking about with the intuition of those visas being more likely to be refused because you know, in the moment usually there's something that that makes them want to approve the visa so they're not refusing it right away. But once you step away from that window and the visa applicant is not in front of the consular officer anymore, it's actually, in my opinion, easier for the visa officer to refuse the visa because they no longer have to d- deliver that disappointing speech. You know, unfortunately, you're refused. They can just refuse it. And then the passport gets sent back to you and leaves you wondering exactly what happened. So I think it's worth it to visa applicants to try. To never be put in administrative processing to the extent that it's possible, to try to just make sure that you are approved on the very first try. Now, if you are someone that ends up, you know, being put in administrative processing, it doesn't mean that all hope is lost. You know, maybe there is something that you can do. And we've actually helped a number of clients in these situations in the past few weeks. So if you have a situation like that, contact us at hello at argovisa.com. Perhaps there's something that we can do to help.
1: Sometimes I would even say that 221G can be uh, a sign of things going better than they have been in the past, though. Uh, For instance, if somebody's been refused their visa four times in a row, just immediately, right? You go to your interview, refused again, again, and again, four times. And then we talk to you. We figure out how you need to present your information What's pertinent, what's relevant, what the the visa officers need to to know about your situation in order to make them feel comfortable enough to issue your visa. And then the end result of that fifth interview is two two one g. Now you've actually you've actually done better than you did in your first interviews, right? Where you actually did present them with something that gave them some doubt, right? They saw all their other their colleagues had refused you, but then you gave them something that made them think, oh, I need to give this some more review, it's some more thought. Now they put you in that two two one g. But like we said, with time, what they're going to see when they check back in with that case is not going to be the, that fresh memory of that interview with you that went so well. It's going to be oh, all these notes from those previous officers that already refused you, right? So follow up, and you know, I wish there were some magic way to follow up that works for everybody, uh, but it's going to be very specific, right? You gotta follow up somehow. And here's another thing, a lot of times when you follow up and you ask about your case status, right? Say it's, it's taken a little while, longer than you would expect, longer than anyone would expect, and you haven't gotten a response. You see, you check your CX status online and it's still in, in 221G and you contact them and you get an automated response from somebody who's not the officer, who basically just looks into the system, sees it's 221G and then just gives you a copy and paste response saying your case is in 221G. That hasn't spurred the officer on at all. Now, this is just obviously an internal process um, failure that 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 wouldn't trigger like a further review of your case. But what will trigger a further review of your case is if you're providing more information, right? If you're emailing just saying, hey, what's the status? Okay, you're gonna get a, a set response that says your status is this, right? Just keep waiting. But if you if you say, Hey, here's a document that explains my case to the officer that they were asking about during my interview, then that's going to be given to the officer, right? And the officer will see, oh, here's this information about this case that maybe they'd forgotten about, maybe they you know, weren't being negligent, maybe they've just been extra bu- busy, but then it brings it back to their attention if you provide some new information. So that's a way to, you know, if you've been stuck in 221G for two or three months, finding a way to try to get some eyes on your case because it's actually very hard sometimes.
0: Absolutely. And then, you know, we've had some real success stories recently with cases that have been stuck in administrative processing. You know, I myself worked with a client recently who had their case stuck. They were not really sure why it was a standard, you know, F1 student visa interview. But after doing my consultation with that person, In understanding what questions he was asked, I knew what the concerns were of the consular officer. And so I was able to tell the client, hey, I want you to write a letter and I want you to explain these things in more detail. You know, short, succinct, makes sense. And the visa was approved uh, three days later. And so these are definitely some of the things that we can help you with at Argo, especially, you know, it can be overwhelming having that visa interview that's so nerve wracking, not really knowing what happened and then getting this sort of, uh, you know, confounding response that's, you know, you're not approved or refused, but you're stuck in the status. And I would say that time is of the essence. So if you are somebody who has recently been put in this situation, definitely get in touch with us um, at hello at argovisa.com. Perhaps or something, there's advice that we can give you on, you know, how to get another set of eyes on your situation. Um, you know, uh, give you some guidance.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, every one of these cases is so unique. Um, there are trends, right? There are general themes that we see over and over again, but then the details change. So it changes the way that you would have to to approach it. And, and that the thing that a lot of people think is that is that, okay, well, this is very, you know, this is all legal based if I satisfy the requirements and the embassies, but it's a it's a messy process. We were on the inside for years. It's way messier than you would want it to be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Then would you have any, would you say there is any general advice that you can give to our listeners about how to correspond with post? I know you mentioned before, if you have new information, that would be good to bring to light, to get somebody interested in it again, to take a look. Um, Do you have any other advice for how, what is the best way to, you know, correspond with
1: post? Uh, Concisely, for sure. Uh, Always keep this in mind the visa officers and the consulate and embassy in general always has the option of just not doing anything, right? They can always just refuse you for one, or they can they can always not read any of your documents, right? Not look at any of your papers that you bring in. They can always ignore your email. There's no oversight, there's no appeal, there's no redress. You know, they can always just not look at what you provide. If you provide a 17 letter, excuse me, a 17 page letter to them, um, as a, as a PDF, you know, attached to your email, expecting that they're going to read all of it and then, you know, give it, give it due consideration and then make, take some action on it, you're going to be very disappointed. You need to keep your communications with them very concise to the point, including the relevant information that they need to know. Um, usually I would also say, um, emotional appeals about how, you know, stressed out you are because you haven't gotten a decision yet are not going to sway them uh, either at all or, you know, it could be possible that that could be bad, right? So, you know, your emotional appeals are not the good thing. It's got to be factual appeals about I've applied on this date. It's been this much time. I have a program start date right now, which is, you know, in eight days from now, if I am to attend my program of study, I need a, I need a decision on my visa very soon. Please you know, consider my, my, my application um, as quickly as you can, right? Uh, what other advice would you have, Mandy?
0: Yeah, I would say definitely be polite, but not pushy. Um, visa officers really hate being told what to do by immigration attorneys, by visa applicants themselves. So I think you always want to defer to them in how... You know, in in what they want to do, but you do want to be very factual in, uh, you know, what you're waiting for. Perhaps school is going to start in a week, and it really will make a big difference in whether or not you can start the semester. That is a fact, you know, and that's something that you can lay out in a letter um, and appeal to them in in hoping that they would help you make a a hasty response. Whereas, you know, I feel like I deserve this uh, because I've been waiting so long. You know these officers just don't take to that very well, being told what to do, because they know that they have the authority and they alone have that authority to make this decision, and it's not going to make them want to help you. So um, I think it does take a little bit of nuance to get used to, but don't reach out. You know, I I spoke to an immigration attorney recently who said that whenever they've been waiting for a really long time on something, whether it's a national interest exemption response or a two two one G case, they just try to. Contact the embassy or consulate as little as possible because they don't want to poke the bear. Um, and you know, Ben and I talked about this earlier, and we just felt like that is definitely not the right strategy because, in some cases, most cases, you know, the the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I think, but you still want to squeak in the right way. Um, you don't want to be annoying. You don't want to be overtly aggressive. Uh, you just want to bring the visa officer's attention back to
1: your case. What, what, in your experience, Mandy, ha, has been um, an example of bad communication?
0: Bad communication. I would say, mm-hmm. generally, um, it's better. I, this, is per, uh, this is personal for me, Ben. I don't know about you, but I tend to think that it's worse when immigration attorneys correspond with post on the visa applicant's behalf. And this is just my sort of personal take and my experience on it because visa officers see the interview process as something that is between them and the visa applicant. If you always have somebody reaching out to post from an immigration attorney's perspective, um, that is actually quite annoying. And it feels like, okay, we know that this person has been paid to get this done for you, but it makes you very removed from the situation. So it makes us less likely to understand why it is important to you for this to happen at this time um, what about you Ben
1: I agree I think that uh, a personal letter from the applicant is always much better than a letter written in legalese from an attorney uh, and and that's based on my experience when I was in there and, and you knowing what my colleagues thought about it too um, it's because with 214B, it always comes back to the officer has to feel comfortable issuing the visa to that applicant, right? Um, whatever legal points that the lawyer is bringing up are not impor- are, are completely moot if the, if the officer is just going to refuse you 214B because they don't feel comfortable, right? Um, so yeah, I think that, that keeping it very personal um, is, is, is is a good point. I, I received, you know, bad communication, I think, is when um, you know, somebody's in 221G or even has been refused. And then there's a letter from a sponsor in the US um, berating the consulate for whatever decision that they've made or the delay and talking about how, you know, how how good of a citizen they are, how civically involved they are, how respectable they are, et cetera, how much money they make, et cetera. Um, and they divert attention from the applicant to themselves, which is actually very counterproductive because then it's saying, okay, well, this person in America, they're not getting the visa. It's all based on the credentials of, of the person that's applying for the visa abroad. Um, and so the person in the U S if they're saying you can rely on this person because I'm so great. It's saying, well, you're basically admitting that I can't rely on the credentials of the applicant. I have to rely on the credentials of this sponsor, which is not even a, um, a formal, a formal role that someone plays when it comes to like a B visa or an F visa um, and I, and it, it can be more harmful than helpful in a lot of cases.
0: Absolutely and I think it might also bring attention to the fact that this person has some strong ties to the United States if somebody is willing to speak out uh, you know very vocally for this visa being approved and it might make the visa officer question Okay, so why is this uncle speaking up? You know, this doesn't have anything to do with the student visa. And so you wanna be really careful about what that looks like to the visa officer. Um, and so I, I definitely agree with that, Ben.
1: Yeah, 100%. That, that also goes back to, to, to it being personal, right? That sponsor contacting the consulate or the embassy is the same thing as a lawyer doing it, right? It's a third party that's getting involved, which, steps in between that relationship that the consular officer feels they have with the applicant, right? It's just a one-on-one interaction and the decision gets made based on that without any outside influence coming in.
0: Yeah. And I think one other thing, if we have any immigration attorney listeners in our audience is, um, you know, you really want to explain things in a way uh, like Ben mentioned, without the legalese, but something that is sort of short and concise and compelling. Um, and if you ever draft any letters for consular officers to read, you know, consular officers are not attorneys. Um, they're lay people, basically. And so it has to be understandable to a person who, you know, doesn't practice immigration law doesn't know these cases that you're citing and more about, you um, you know, exactly what is important to the visa applicant, why this makes sense. So think about uh, writing a letter uh, from that viewpoint that you're trying to explain to somebody uh, who's not a lawyer, what's going on with this person's situation.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a really good point. What 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 should someone do if they can't find a way to contact the consulate, the visa section? If they, if they go through the, uh, the standard method and all they can get is like a, boiler, a boilerplate standard response.
0: Yeah, um, so generally these days, it really depends on the embassy or consulate, uh, whether or not they have public facing email addresses. I know over the years, they've sort of slowly started taking that away. It used to be very easy to get in touch with a consular section or the non-immigrant visa unit. And then nowadays they go through like a third party contractor. So sometimes it's not even an embassy or or, um, a consulate email address. So I would say that the best way to kind of get in touch is you kind of, I'm actually curious to know what you think then, because in my opinion, it would just be to make sure you're reaching out to the right email address that is on the embassy or consulate website. It could even change. Week to week, you know, one day they had a form that you can fill out that goes directly to the consular section. The next week they've decided to update their systems and now it's a third party, you know, contractor email address. But just first make sure that you're sending it to the right place. Um, And secondly, you know, occasionally if it's something that you really want um, attention paid to it, perhaps you can get um, a congressperson's office involved. But it really depends on the situation, whether or not that's helpful or not. Uh, a lot of times that's more helpful before the visa interview. We can talk about that some other episode. Um, but just really bringing more public attention to what is going on. What would you recommend, Ben?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's all the advice there is for it. Um, I would say you know in the, you know the final thing that you can do, if you've been waiting and waiting, you can't get any response or any action on your case. You can write and say, I need my passport back, send me my passport. And they will get your passport and send it back to you.
0: Yeah. And one other thing I want to mention too is you know, at Argo, we really help you do everything you can um, yourself because it's the most effective approach. And you need guidance from the experts who've made these decisions on, you know, visa applications for years. And we just, have this knowledge ingrained in us and how best to speak to a visa officer, how to get the result that you want. But at times, you know, you might get to a certain point where really there's nothing left to do. You've tried everything. Perhaps you've even had an Argo consultation. We've done everything we can for you. And there are some very skilled immigration attorneys who Uh, can bring uh, special types of lawsuits that can compel the US government to respond to your case. Uh, These are called uh, mandamus lawsuits, they can be effective. And while that's not something that we can help you with at Argo, uh, we do uh, know a lot of extremely talented immigration attorneys. So if that's something that you, you know, you're considering, you know, you can reach out to us as well. And we'll try to put you in touch with the right person for that. Um, but that's, if you've tried everything else, because, you know, in our opinion, it's always best to try to get everything done in the way that the state department and consular sections prefer, because that's going to be the fastest and most efficient way. And we'll get you the best results. But, um, at some point, you might want to be seeking other options as well.
1: Yeah. Well, if you've if you've been in uh, 221G status or you still are and you don't know what to do and you don't know what your next step should be, write us an email at hello at argovisa.com. Um, and then, you know, in the next episode, we might be able to, to address whatever your concern might have been um, and maybe give you some tips that could help you out.
0: That's right. Thank you so much everybody for tuning in and we hope to bring you some more interesting insights soon and uh, have a great rest of your week everybody
1: talk to you next time